Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, open with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, be in chapter 3 today. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, 10 through 17. Today we are starting a new series uh, as we begin the new year, a new series. So today we're starting a series, Who We Are. Who We Are. Who We Are as a church. First Baptist. Uh, First Baptist Church of Bastrop. Who are we? And that's one of the questions that we want to answer that as we go through this series. Uh, now, before we got into Thanksgiving and, and Christmas, we had on Sunday nights, we went through the foundations for revitalization and we defined certain things about our church. We defined our core values. We defined our mission. And we began to define our vision. Now, core values are those beliefs that we hold uh, central. Uh, they're beliefs, they're not all of our beliefs, but they're the core beliefs that really drive us to do the things that we do. The mission, of course, is what we do. It's what we're called to do, what we're commissioned, particularly for us, by Christ to do. And then our vision is where our core values and our mission we see taking us in, in the future. And so as we look at who we are, we're going to start by looking at our core values. Those values, those beliefs that we hold central, that are, are part of our DNA, that cause us to do the things that we do. And so today we begin that. We begin to look at who we are by looking at our core values. And the first core value that we're going to look at today is biblical teaching. Biblical teaching. Why do we come here week after week? Why do I stand before you with my Bible open teaching you from God's Word? Because we believe Holy Scripture is God's authoritative revelation and must be taught in such a way that the lost might come to know Christ and Christians might grow in their relationship with Him by submitting themselves to His authority. Let me say that again. We believe Holy Scripture, God's Word, is God's authoritative revelation. That is His revealing of Himself. And must be taught in such a way that the lost might come to know Christ and Christians might grow in their relationship with Him by submitting themselves to His authority. And so today, as we look at 2 Timothy here, this passage in 2 Timothy, I want us to see three reasons, three reasons why we believe in the value of biblical teaching. Three reasons why we value biblical teaching. And I hope today, as we leave from here, you have a greater love and uh, thankfulness for God's Word, and that you will have a greater commitment to biblical teaching. So as we, we look at 2 Timothy this morning, let me begin by uh, giving you the context of this letter. This is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to his protege, Timothy. Timothy was a, a young man when Paul picked him up on his second missionary journey. And he was a, just a young buck, and the people there at the church in uh, Lystra, I believe it was, uh, they, they talked good about Timothy, so Paul took him along with him. He just took him along his, uh, on his side, and, and he went with Paul. And, and so from that time on, Paul and Timothy were almost inseparable. Uh, he was just a, a valuable part of Paul's ministry. 
And along the way, Paul taught him. I mean, he was the young man and Paul was the older preacher. And so Paul taught him. And now, at this point in time in history, Paul is imprisoned in Rome. And this is his second and final Roman imprisonment. He's looking at his coming death. In fact, it says in uh, chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Paul knows at this point that he is about to be executed for his testimony of Jesus Christ. And so here is a final letter that he's writing to his young protege, whom he has left in Ephesus, the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And he's giving him these final words of advice. And when he comes down to the end of this letter, he gives him advice about the value of God's word. And this is just amazing to me that these are some of the final words that Paul has to write to his young protege, Timothy. And so today we begin by, by looking at that and looking in chapter 3, verse 10. If you found your place there, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. After Paul has been talking about people who have been away, getting away from the gospel, getting away from scripture, he says, you, however, Timothy have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus." All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Lord, today we pray as we, we learn the value of your word and the value of biblical teaching and preaching, Lord, that you would write its eternal truth on every one of our hearts, Lord. Be with us now, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So three reasons we value biblical teaching. Three reasons we value biblical preaching. And we're really going to focus in. I, I read 10 through 13 to kind of give you some extra context there. But we're really, really going to be focusing in on 14 and especially verses 16 and 17 this morning. But we see here three reasons we value biblical teaching. And the first reason we value biblical teaching is, and you ought to know this, because God's Word... The Bible is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. 
The Bible is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. I just said that in my prayer. I say that every time I get up here to preach, almost every time I get up here to preach, because that's so fundamentally important to us as the people of God. We have to affirm that. We have to believe that the Bible is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Paul teaches that to Timothy. He teaches that to us today through this text. Verse 16, just the first part of that, he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Scripture is inspired. Scripture is inspired. Now let me clarify what I mean by Scripture is inspired. That word can be confusing. It's a theological term in this sense. But we can use inspired in so many ways. Uh, you can say, well, that song was very inspiring, right? It, it was very inspirational. And, and that means it kind of moved you in some way. Uh, we can say that an author of a book or a, a poet is very inspirational. That's not, the term, that, that's not what kind of inspiration we're talking about when we talk about the inspiration of God's Word. When we talk about the inspiration of God's Word, it goes greater, it goes far deeper than just saying something moves me. Uh, the inspiration of Holy Scripture means that God wrote the book. He inspired it to be written in such a way that every word of the book, every word of the Bible is God's holy and inspired Word. The term Paul uses there, breathe out. Scripture is breathe out by God. That little phrase, breathe out by God, in the, in the Greek is one word. One word. Theopneustas. Uh, Theopneustas. Uh, I know it's an interesting word, right? It's only used one time here in, in, in the New Testament. Only once is it ever used. And Paul uses it here to explain and, and give some kind of a characteristic of God's Word. And it's really taking two terms and kind of crushing them together. He's taking the word theos, which is the word for God. We ought to know that. We talk, study theology. We're studying about God. Theos is God. And uh, neustos is Nuptas is uh, the word for, for wind or breath or air or spirit. Uh, we we, we kind of know this. This is from the word from which we get words like pneumonia. Pneumonia. It has to do with breathing, right? It's a, a disease of the lungs. It has to do with breathing. Or if you have a, a pneumatic wrench, then you have an air wrench. And so you take these two words, theos and neustos, and you crush them together, and what do you get? You get God-breathed. God-breathed. Scripture is God-breathed. It's like God just breathed it out. He exhaled, and out came His Word. Peter gives a, a further kind of a, a clarification of this. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 Peter says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Men spoke by God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
And so what takes place when, when the prophets of, of the Old Testament and the apostles of the New Testament, as they are writing Holy Scripture, as they are writing the Bible that we have today, as they were sitting down and writing this, as Paul was sitting down writing this letter to Timothy that we're studying today, he was sitting there and he was being carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't mean that he was dictating the Word of God. It's not like God was saying, all right, here's, here's what you write down, Paul. Quote after me, right? He's not dictating it, but he's moving him. He's carrying him along. And the, the writers understand this. They, they understand. They could feel this, that God was moving them to write what they were writing. And so the Holy Spirit was moving them along so that what they were writing is the very Word of God. Now, it doesn't take away from their personality. These prophets and apostles, they, they wrote in their own style and in their own way. They used their own kind of language. In fact, if you, you begin to, to really study even the books of the New Testament, you study uh, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's four different human authors there. And if you really study them, you, you see that there's, there's differences, right? There's differences. There's little characteristics that are different between all of them because they're, they're four different human beings behind those, writing those. And so God is using their character, their style of writing, their vocabulary to produce these documents. But it is God who is carrying them along. So much so that what is written is God's very word. Yes, it was produced by the hands of men, but it was produced in such a way that God was the one who was writing. So that what we have preserved here for us it is God's inspired Word. It is God's very Word. Written by human authors, copied down by human authors, yet what we have in the Bible, what you have there in your hand, if you have a Bible in your hand, is God's Word. The one who created heavens and the earth. The one who gives you life and being. These are His words. And his message to us. God's word is inspired, but not only is it inspired, but God's word is also inerrant. God's word is inerrant. We understand this by understanding that God's word is inspired. It's inspired by God, and if it's inspired by God, if it's written by God, then it must be inerrant. It must be inerrant because God is without error, God makes no mistakes. Now, I understand that we have different translations here. I have the, the English Standard Version. Some of you have the uh, New American Standard Version or, or this, that, and the other. We have different translations. The translations aren't inerrant. Translations are, are taking the, the Greek text and the Hebrew text and bringing them down to English. And, and there's men there who have to kind of figure out what's being said there and translate it over into English. And we're not saying that the translations are inerrant. There's a lot of bad translations out there. You have to be very careful what translation you use. But God's Word, God's Word as it was originally given by, to the apostles and to the prophets is inerrant. And you know that we have so many copies of those prophecies and, and those texts that have been handed down to us today that the scholars say that what we have, even in the English text, even what we have in, in the Bible today, Though we don't have the original autographs, right? We don't have the original letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. It's long gone. 
Even though we don't have the original, there's so many copies out there that the scholars say that what we have, we can be assured that 99, I think the, 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 the percentage is 99.8%. We can, have, we can be affirmed that 99.8% is accurate. It is what God handed down to the apostles and prophets to give to us 99.8 percent the the little bit of difficulty there that that they're not so sure about it has to do with numbers and that sort of thing it has nothing to do with doctrinal truth nothing to do with about salvation about our our, our uh, the attributes of God or any of that those are the only questions that we have in our translations today 99.8% of what we have, we can know, was God's Word handed down to the apostles and the prophets and given to us. And so, if it's, we know that, if this is God's Word, then God's Word must be inerrant because God is without error. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19 says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will not do it? Or has he spoken and will not fulfill it? God's word is inerrant. And every promise that he gives us in his word, we can take it to the bank. We can be assured of it because God makes no errors. Not only that, but God never goes back on his promises. He never changes his mind. He's the same yesterday. Uh, he's the same today as he was yesterday and will be million years from now. God never changes, and He never makes a mistake. So therefore, His Word, the Bible, is without error. The Scripture is inspired, and it is inerrant. And finally, the Scripture is authoritative. The Scripture is authoritative. That means that because it is God's Word, it is God's Word to His people, it carries the full authority of God. It carries the full authority of God. Now we hear a lot today in, in the news about an executive order. The president can give an executive order. And when the president gives the executive order that something be done, that executive order is like law. It's like the law of the land. Once he issues that executive order, it's like law. Well, God's word given to us by God, it's God's law. It's from Him, and it carries the full authority of God so that if we read the Bible and we disobey the Bible, we disobey God. And if we read the Bible and we obey the Bible, then we obey God. The Bible carries the full authority of God because it is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. The Bible is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Therefore, there is no greater book from which we can learn and teach. There is no greater book from which we can learn and teach than God's holy word. We value biblical teaching because the Bible is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Second, we value, value the Bible because the Bible produces saving faith. The Bible produces saving faith. 
Notice what he says. Back up a passage there in verse 15. Uh, actually, verse 14 and 15. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it. He's making a reference back to his mother and grandmother that he mentioned earlier in the book. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, that is, the Bible, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Scriptures, the Bible, is, 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 makes you wise. It makes you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, as we look at Scripture and think about what's the, the characteristic of the, the nature of Scripture, Scripture reveals sin. Scripture reveals sin. It, it can lead us to saving faith because it reveals sin. It lets us know what sin is. It shows us what it means to obey God, but it also shows us what it means to disobey God. Romans chapter 7, verse 7, Paul says, What then shall we say? The law is sin? By no means. Yet if I had not been, if it had not been for the law, that is the Bible, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. The Bible tells us, it tells us what God expects, it tells us what God desires, and therefore it reveals to us our sin and our disobedience before God. The Bible reveals sin. But not only does it reveal our sin, because, I mean, what good would it be to us if it only revealed our sin? But the more glorious thing is that it reveals the Savior. Scripture reveals the Savior. It reveals Jesus Christ. In fact, John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, he says. In Luke, at the end of Luke's gospel, as Jesus is preparing to, to leave, he's already been crucified and resurrected. Now he's given his apostles some final instruction and he says these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses that is the Old Testament and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them thus is it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Scripture is about Jesus. The whole purpose of the Bible is to point us to Jesus. From revealing our sin to us to revealing the Savior, it's all about pointing us to Jesus Christ and His divine purpose of coming to this world, living in sinless perfection before the Father, and dying on the cross in our place and for our sin, so that our sin and guilt might be covered over. Taking the punishment for our sin and guilt, He allows our sin to be covered over, to be forgiven by the Father so that we can come back into a relationship with God. We had been uh, 
excommunicated from God. We had been removed from God's presence because of our sin. But Jesus came to reconcile us to God, to give us peace with God, so that we might have eternal life with God. All Scripture is Christian Scripture because all Scripture points to Jesus Christ. This book, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus from start to finish. Every word in here is meant to point you and me to Jesus Christ. Scripture reveals our sin and it reveals the Savior. As Scripture reveals sin and reveals the Savior, it then produces saving faith. It produces saving faith. Paul says in Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. Let me just read that text there for you. Romans 10, chapter 13 through 17. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Notice that. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you call upon the name of Jesus Christ, you will be saved. How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Saving faith is produced by the faithful preaching and teaching of God's Word. That's why it's so valuable. That's why we come in here week after week, or one of the reasons that we come in here week after week, because there's something special about the preaching of God's Word. I don't know why that is the means by which God uh, gave us to, to, to save souls, but it is. God could have wrote the gospel in the skies and said, look and see and be saved. But he said, no, I'm going to use you, my children, to take the gospel to the nations. I'm going to use the foolishness of preaching, the foolishness of Richard Gamble standing up in the pulpit week after week proclaiming the gospel. I'm going to use that foolishness to save souls. Oh, how terrible it is that we see so many people abandoning the gospel in pulpits today. Oh, how awful it would be if we abandoned the gospel in the pulpit week after week. May it never be that a Sunday would go by that the pulpit at First Bastrop is ever not filled with a preacher proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the foolishness of preaching. That brings the salvation of souls. Oh, we, we value biblical preaching and teaching because God's Word produces saving faith. Only the Word of God has the power to, to reveal sin, reveal the Savior, and produce saving faith in the hearts of the lost. So we value biblical preaching and teaching because the Bible is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word, which produces saving faith. 
Finally, we value biblical teaching because the Bible equips the saints. The Bible equips the saints. It prepares the saints for the work of the ministry. Notice what he says there in verse 16 and 17 again. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. God's Word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's Word is profitable. Scripture is profitable. And notice here he says it's profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. You know, those four words can be grouped into two, two groups. First of all, it has to do with belief, correcting our beliefs. And the other has to do with correcting our behavior. First of all, Scripture is profitable for sound doctrine, sound belief, for teaching and for reproof. God's Word, it teaches us the truth. It teaches us truth. Jesus says, praying to the Father before he, he goes to the cross, He says, Father, sanctify them. Sanctify my people, my disciples, in truth. Your Word is truth. You see, dear friend, God's Word isn't just true. It is true, but it's not just true. It's not merely true. God's Word is truth, Jesus says. God's Word is truth. All other truth is based upon God's Word of truth. God's Word is truth. And so as we, we live in this world, a world that, that tells us we ought to think this way and that way, we have to conform our thinking, not to the secular world, but we must conform our thinking to God's Word because God's Word is truth. God's Word is truth. It teaches us truth but also reproves error. It's for reproof. It reproves error. It teaches us truth, and it also corrects our wrong thinking, our wrong beliefs. God's Word is profitable. It's profitable for sound doctrine, for sound belief. But it's also profitable for sound living, sound living or sound behavior. Righteous behavior for it's profitable for correction and for training in righteousness. That is, it, it's profitable to correct bad behavior for correction. That's a word that, that is aimed towards behavior. We, we live in this life and, and we make mistakes, right? We all make mistakes. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But as we study God's Word, as we, we get into it and learn God's Word, it corrects our bad behavior. It corrects our bad behavior, but not only does it correct bad behavior, but also trains us in good behavior. It trains us in righteousness. It tells us how we are to act in such a way that we would please and honor God in this fallen world. God's world is profitable for training the saints, for preparing the saints for the works of the ministry. I'm reminded of, of 2 Kings chapter 22. There it records us a, an episode, a story in the life of King Josiah, an event that took place in his life. King Josiah was one of the, one of the last righteous kings in, in, in Judea. He was one of the great righteous kings, the great good kings in Judea. 
And early on in his reign, it says that Josiah, he gave orders that, that the house of the Lord be repaired. There was, apparently it had gone into the bad repair. Some things were out of, out of shape. And so he gives orders. You take the money and you go and you repair the house of the Lord. And so as the, the priests are going through and they're getting ready and they're starting to, to clean things up and, and starting to, to work on the house of the Lord, the temple there, and make these repairs, it says that the high priest, he came across something uh, kind of spectacular. He found the word of the Lord. He found the law, the book of the law, the scroll of the law. Apparently, it had been missing. I don't know how long. Scripture doesn't tell us how long the word of the Lord had been missing, but it had been missing for, obviously, decades upon decades. It's just been missing. Now, imagine that. That's when you get to the end of King and you read that. They found the word of the Lord. Here are the people of God in the temple of God. And after all of these decades, all of these kings, from King Solomon, uh, King David, to King Solomon, all the way down to Josiah, and now they find the word of the Lord. It had been missing somewhere along the way. The people of Israel had abandoned the law. They abandoned God's Word. They laid it up on a shelf somewhere to collect dust. It didn't tell them what they wanted to hear. It didn't give them the message that they, they really wanted to hear. And so they set it aside. They put it up on a shelf. And it laid up there lost. No one knowing it. And then when they found it, they brought it to Josiah, and Josiah had the scribe read it to him. Read me the law. Read me God's Word. And as, he, as the scribe read God's Word to Josiah, the Scripture said Josiah ripped his garments. Why did he rip his garments? Because he realized Israel's bad behavior. He realized that all of Israel, all of Judea, all of Jerusalem had been living in disobedience to God's Word. Here they were, God's people. They abandoned God's Word. They abandoned God's ways. So he rips his garments in repentance, mourning over their sin and their failure. But then it says he began to make reforms. As he heard God's word preached to him through the priest, he came under conviction and he says, all right, we've been living the wrong way. We've had bad beliefs. We've had bad behavior. And now we're going to repent and we're going to make some reforms and we're going to live according to God's word. Oh, the power of God's Word to prepare the saints for the work of God's kingdom. Oh, how we need God's Word. We desperately need God's Word. Oh, may we say with the psalmist, I have stored up Your Word, O oh God, in my heart that I might not sin against You. Oh, church, let us never abandon God's Word. But let us value God's Word as it prepares us for kingdom living. Prepares us to glorify our King and our Savior.
We value God's Word because it equips the saints. You know, the church today in America has lost so much of its influence. We know it has. It's lost so much of its influence, and I I can't help but wonder why. You know why I think it is that the church has lost so much of its influence today? Because so much of the church today has have abandoned God's Word. You go throughout the churches across North America today and, 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 and seldom will you find the Word of God preached and proclaimed. In so many pulpits around the nation, you will hear motivational speeches You'll hear preachers preaching on, on how, to be, how to have a good life, how to have a good marriage, how to do this, how to do that. Preaching has, mo- has boiled down to, to motivational speeches, moralistic and, and therapeutic monologues are given. But seldom do people say, Thus saith the Lord. There's a famine in the land because God's Word has been laid up on a shelf. It has been lost in modern church. Oh, we need God's Word. We are desperate in need of biblical teaching. And here at First Bastrop, we value biblical teaching. We value biblical teaching because the Bible is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. The Bible, it, it produces saving faith and equips the saints. We believe Holy Scripture is God's authoritative revelation and must be, not should be, it must be taught. It must be taught in such a way that the lost might come to know Jesus and that Christians might grow in their relationship to Christ and then submit themselves to His authority. We believe in biblical teaching. And it will always be a priority for this church, at least as long as I'm here. We believe in the value of biblical teaching. Oh, dear Christian, My prayer today is that we would give thanks for God's Word. Oh, what a value we have in God's Word. It is a treasure. It is a treasure. It is His Word. It is His message to us. It's so valuable. Give thanks that God has revealed Himself in such a way. Oh, and that we have such access to it. There's so many churches around the world and, and other countries who don't have access to God's Word. They hunger and thirst for just a page of God's Word. We've got the whole book in many different translations. Oh, how we should value God's Word. Let us give praise to God for His Word. And let us be committed to studying His Word. Day after day, week after week, as we begin the new year, We have the the reading plans over here by the office. We have beginner. We have intermediate. We have advanced. So just go by there and pick pick what, what suits you. And make a commitment to study God's Word every day on your own. Then also make that commitment to come back here week after week. 
And hear God's Word proclaimed to you so that it might transform you. For others, you're here today and maybe just something of this message. Open your heart to know Jesus. To really begin to see Jesus. Biblical teaching begins by coming to know Jesus Christ and His story that He died on the cross for your sins so that you might have life in Him. And your learning begins by trusting in Jesus. And when you begin to trust in Jesus, He will reveal Himself to you more and more through His Word, His written Word. Turn to Jesus today. Trust Him. And know Him. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We praise You that You have revealed Yourself to us by giving us Your written Word, which points us, Lord, to Your Word who became flesh, Jesus Christ. We thank You for Your Word. May we value it above everything else in this world. as it points us to You. Lord, if there are those today who don't know Jesus, oh Lord, direct their attention to Jesus. Let them see Jesus today. Let them know Your saving grace. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.